afternoon, if you would be going ahead and taking out your Bibles, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit this, this afternoon, looking at a question that I think it's good that we all give, give pause and give, give an honest consideration of. Uh, hopefully you've had the opportunity to go and to, to be filled and to en- enjoy lunch. I, I know I had that opportunity. And as me and, and uh, Eric and Logan, we, we ate afterwards, we, we kind of split up for a while. And me and Eric had an opportunity to have some conversation. In that conversation, we, we covered a whole just a buffet of, of topics. But something that just kept kind of, uh, I kept coming back to in my mind as, as we talked was this idea of, of Jesus and his death. And, and the question was, that I just kept, for some reason it seemed like it was relevant in our conversation a lot, was why did Jesus die? This idea kept kind of popping up in my head, why did Jesus die? And there's a lot of controversy that swirls around this question. Some ask, was it an accident? Was it a part of the plan? Or was it maybe unintended? Was it a consequence of his teaching and, and, and of the things that he said? Was it something, on the other hand, was it something that was planned? Was it God's will? Was it known ahead of times by Jesus? Was it something that he accepted as his role to play in our salvation? The answer to these questions in the gospel is clear as to why he died, but there's still uh, a one answer that is often overlooked, and that's what I really hope to look at this afternoon. And that is uh, the question, has Jesus died in vain? Let's begin as we think of this. Let's begin by looking this afternoon at what the scriptures say about why he did die on the cross. And we're going to begin by looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 3, we read, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive and in which you stand, by which you are also saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The fundamental theme of the gospel, the fundamental and the, the, the number one answer to this question, why did Jesus die, was so that he could atone us for, of our sins. He could be that atonement for our sins. Isaiah 53 And it talks about this in Isaiah 53, look in verses 4 through 6. Surely he was born our griefs, surely he has borne our griefs uh, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's skip on down to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall, labor, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. <clears throat> so we see that the suffering for our sins, the, the reason for his death to atone for our sins, was something that was foretold. Something that, we, that was known of, not just something that happened as a consequence to what was happening uh, in that day in the first century. We know that he was the Lamb of God. Look over in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 and verse 29. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was known at that time what Jesus was there for. In love, God offered him as the propitiation for our sins. When we think of propitiation, so oftentimes it's something that is done by men to appease a God. But in 1 John 4, we see it as something that, that was done by God, by, by God to appease God. As in contrast to ourselves doing something. In 1 John 4, in verses 9 through 10, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, through such suffering, uh, through the death of Jesus on the cross, we have an opportunity to be reconciled back to God. Just a few passages uh, prior to this in the book of Peter. 1 Peter 3, uh, in verse 18, we read, For Christ also suffered once for sins that he... Excuse me, I apologize. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. <clears throat> and we also see in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 through 19, that redemption from sin, it comes through His blood. In verse 18 through 19, read, Knowing that you were not redeemed with the corruptible things, like silver or gold, for your, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. What we see in all these passages is just emphasized and screaming throughout the passage or throughout the scriptures that Jesus' death was no accident. It was not some sort of uh, bump in the road in, in God's plan to create a kingdom. It was not something that was a just an afterthought and some sort of scramble in, in the middle to make things uh, be held over. It was a part of a plan. It was God's predetermined plan. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 through 23, uh, Peter says these words, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, having crucified and put to death. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He died so that we might have a forgiveness for our sins. But he also died so that we ourselves might die to sins. This reason for his death is oftentimes overlooked. Turn back over to 1 Peter again. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and in verse 24. 1 Peter 2 verse 24, we read, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. It is very clearly stated by Peter here that he died for our sins so that we might die to sin, as the ESV puts it. He died for our sins so that we might be able to live for righteousness. So it could be said that he died so that we might die. And as we read such statements, it's found in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse, verse 11. 
This is a faithful saying. For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. We can understand that, that we have died for him. In Colossians 2 and verse 20, it's, it's worded uh, again. Colossians 2 and verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Again, this idea of, of us dying with Christ. Colossians 3 and verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And even in, looking back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus died. And Jesus died as part of a plan, but not only to atone for our sins. But he died for a plan to provide us a means by, by which we may die ourselves with him. We may die to sin and thereby live for righteousness. So unless we also die to sin, then has Jesus' death fully accomplished its plan? Has it fully accomplished what, what its purpose was unless we ourselves die to sin? He died for our sins, but have we died to sin? So the question that I, that I posed at the beginning, has Jesus died in vain, would better be pointed out maybe to say, or worded, has Jesus died for you in vain? When does God view you as dying with Christ? When does God view you as having been crucified with Christ? Having been united with Christ in his death? Having, been, uh, having become dead to sin? That is the question that we must be asking ourselves. Have I died to sin? In Romans 6 verses 1 and 2, Paul makes it very clear when this happens. Romans 6 verses 1 and 2, Paul says that, we die, that uh, this happens at baptism. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we die, or how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Live any longer in it? Or do you not know that, that as many as if of us were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? He was reminding to them concerning the baptism in Christ that they were baptized into his death. In verse 4, he goes on to say that they were buried with him through baptism into death. And then he would go on to talk, as we did this morning, about the old man who was put away. In verse 6, it says the old man was crucified with him. And their death would free them from sin, enabling them to live with Christ. And then in verse 11, verse 11, he says that you should at this point consider yourselves dead. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we have not yet been baptized into Christ, then we have not yet died to sin. And we are, we are effectively holding up Jesus' plan, Jesus' death on the cross for us. We are, we are the, one, the, the missing link in that wheel that needs to be put back in place so that it can continue to spin, so that it can fulfill its purpose. We must be baptized. But likewise, we need, there's another step in that. After baptism something else and that's the question we need to be asking ourselves again are we living for righteousness again in first peter chapter 2 
1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 24, on him, uh, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we who have, have died to sins might live for righteousness. This is thought of that we might be alive to God, as Romans 6 talked about there in verse 11. That we may not let sin reign anymore, as it talks about in verse 12. But in verses 16 through 18, <clears throat> verses 16 through 18, we read, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That is what we are to be aiming our life for. That is to be the goal after, after we have died to sins, after we have, have been buried with Christ in baptism, what is it that we are becoming slaves to? No longer slaves to sin. What is it that we are going to be obedient to? What are, who is going to be our master? This is aided by the Spirit of God in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 and verse 16. It says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. We are not on this journey on our own. 1 Corinthians 9 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27 it goes on to say, But I discipline my body and bring it in subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Again, this is this idea that if we are going to become a slave of righteousness, yes, we have the help of God, we are aided by His Spirit. But it is something that we should seek through, through bringing ourselves under subjection, being in control of ourselves, as put here, disciplining ourselves, which is simply where this idea of a disciple of Christ comes from, one who has dip, disciplined himself in the teachings of Christ. Again, we do this by, after disciplining ourselves, abstaining from fleshly lust. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. <clears throat> Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrim, pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, lusts which war against the souls. Putting to death, as Colossians 3, 5-9 through 9 talks about it, putting to death or putting off the sinful deeds of the flesh. We're going to put those things away. When we die to Christ, those things need to die with that old man. And then as Colossians 3 and verse 10 through 14 points out, that when we put on the new man, it needs to be that of an image that is renewed of Christ. Colossians 3 verses 10 through 14, and having put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Are we living for righteousness? It's so tempting for us sometimes to uh, become complacent. 
as me and Eric were talking about earlier, to become complacent in our lives. And sometimes we think, well, we did that first part. We died to sin. That's, that's you know, we died. That's the really hard part, isn't it? That the really hard part is the rebirth and the, the renewing and the growing of this new man who is to be growing in a life of righteousness. Who is to be a man who has put on these things, these tender mercies and kindnesses, humilities and meekness and long-suffering, to put on these attributes. That is the hard part. That is the part that we need to be focusing on and, and trying to grow in. And then as 2 Peter 1, 5-9 says, we are also going to be growing in true knowledge. Second <clears throat> Peter 1, starting in verse, in verse 5. Let's start in verse, in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight, being a preacher of righteousness, righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the world, for the righteous man dwelling among them, tormenting, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. <clears throat> and especially for those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of the uncleanliness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in the power and might do not, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. I'm sorry, I read two. <laughs> None of that made sense to me. I apologize. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 through 9. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 through 9. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he has cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into everlasting knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That makes, that makes much more sense to me. <laughs> uh, if, if we have if we have put ourselves to death, and if we are striving to live this righteous life, we are going to be growing in the true knowledge. That is to say that if we are, are making an effort to live godly, uh, godly lives and show brotherly kindness, or if we are, are con you know, disciplining our bodies to meet the teachings that Jesus talked about and that the apostles laid forth being inspired by the Holy Spirit, if we are trying to live a life that is reflectant of that, then we are going to be growing in the knowledge of Christ and we need to be asking ourselves how serious are we in that regard? How serious are we in that evidence or in that effort? The evidence of this seriousness will be in our willing to learn and to grow. Our willing to learn and to grow in the knowledge of Christ. It's something that we should be desiring. That's where 2 Peter in verse 3 it talks about in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are we serious about wanting to know more about what a, a righteous life looks like? Or are we 
Are we just satisfied with the occasional feelingness of, of meeting once or twice a week? Are we, are we satisfied with hearing 15, 20, 30 minutes of a sermon and that, that is enough for us? Or are we truly striving to, to, to feed upon the words and, and the, the meal that we have spiritually in this book from God's Word? That is going to be an evidence for whether or not we are serious in living a life that is righteous. It also says our efforts are to put off sin and to put on Christ in our lives. Are we being serious about that? Look at Romans 13, where we read this. Romans 13, and in verse 13 through 14. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. As, as people who have been called to walk a righteous life, are we taking that serious? Are we seriously trying to make no provision, to not give the opportunities even for these lusts to be fulfilled? If we are not diligent in putting off sin and putting on Christ, then His death was in vain for us. When we consider the death of Jesus on the cross, we should not just think of His death as an atonement for our sins, but also as a a means that provides a life that is dead to sin itself. A life that is alive for righteousness. The grace of God in Jesus is, is not complete until we start living the life that we should. Until we start denying ungodliness. Look over in Titus real quick. Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, and in verse 11 through 12, we read, whose, whose mouths must be stopped, who, excuse me, Titus chapter 2, uh, two and verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Well, if we are denying ungodliness, we are denying worldly lusts, and we are living soberly, we are living righteously and godly, then we are helping in completing that grace of God. What about in verse 13 through 14? Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we might redeem us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous and good works. Did you see there in verse 13? He says, looking for, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. Are we looking for that? Are we looking forward to that? Are we the kind of people that are that are taking every opportunity to redeem what we have to God? And what I mean by that is to take the time that we have, the time that we are blessed with, and when we redeem it, we save it. That means we are not wasting it on, on things that are lawless, on things that are, god, are ungodly, but we are, we are spending it up in, t- in things that are purified. And we are spending it up in ways that are zealous for good works. Do we have an eager anticipation for the Lord's return? <clears throat> Do we have that eager anticipation? Are we are we looking forward to that? Because those who are Christ's 
Those who are truly disciples of Christ, who belong to Christ, that's going to explain, that's going to describe them. They are going to be people who have died to sin through baptism and are living to righteousness. They are those who have been crucified in the flesh, as Galatians chapter 5 says in verse 24. Galatians 5 and verse 24 and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. And in Romans 6, 6, they are those, <clears throat> they are those who have put the old man, have taken that old man and have crucified him. That the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Are you Christ's? This morning, or excuse me, this afternoon. This afternoon, if you have not yet been baptized then you are not Christ's. But maybe more importantly than that, to the audience that I'm speaking to this, this afternoon, you have been baptized. Are you living a righteous life? Are you, are you living a life that is devoted to righteousness, that is devoted to godliness? Because I suggest if you are not, if you are simply, if you are simply living a life that maybe it has it, it fooled the people around you into thinking that, but it has not fooled God, then you need to make a change. You need to look into your lives. And this is something that I can't do for you. This is something that none of the members here can do for you. This is something that you must do for yourself. You need to look into your heart, look into your soul and say, am I living a life that is devoted to Christ? Am I living a life that is devoted to His righteousness? If there are some ways that which we can help you this afternoon, whether it be to... to help you make that first step and to be baptized into Christ, to come to Him in obedience and in submission to His will, or whether it be that you have made that step but you realize that you need to make some more changes in your life, that maybe you have, you have reverted back to that old man and you need to put that new man back on and you need to be walking back with the Lord. Whatever we can do in whatever way, please come forward now as we stand and sing.